This November, annual Sherlock's VIP sign-ups receive a free Cocoa and Eve super nourishing coconut and fig hair mask worth £34.90. Purchase VIP as a gift or sign up yourself for just £5 a month or £50 for the year and join the most exclusive VIP scheme in London. From restaurant openings and discounts at bars and hotels to beauty and wellness offers, Sherlock's partners with London's best venues, suppliers and brands to bring its VIPs exclusive monthly offers. Visit sherlocksvip.com to find out more. Welcome to the Sherlock's Highlights podcast with me, Charlotte Collins. This week I'm joined by Astra Carter, Rosie Charrington and Georgina Blasky. Hello. Hello. Hi. How is everyone? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm okay. <laughs> Powering through. <laughs> what did everybody get up to this weekend? I went to a Halloween party on Saturday night and it was so much fun that people made such an effort. Like I've never been to a Halloween party where everyone's dressed up. Actually, the one person that wasn't dressed up was the host. What? Which is a bit strange. I was like, oh. Oh. It was like oh, I had some makeup on earlier, but I washed off. Oh no, that's so silly. <laughs> what did you go as? I was pretty lame. I didn't organise an outfit in time. So I just rummaged through stuff I owned and went in my horse riding gear. <laughs> yeah. It actually looked quite good. I kind of looked like I was from a Jenny Cooper novel or something. My boyfriend went as Richie Tenenbaum from the Royal Tenenbaums and looked absolutely amazing. Cool. He got lots of like knowing nods from people <laughs> and lots of who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> I think of you for not going out and buying something new that you'd never wear again as well. Exactly. Were you not yes. tempted to go as Margot? I really want to go as Margot, but if I put a blonde wig on, I'll just look like Myra Hindley. So, <laughs> oh, no, good luck. <laughs> and that is dark, even by Halloween. I mean, it would be quite Halloween y, but true. not the vibe I'm going for. I'm surprised that people still got into it because I went into Starbucks on Thursday morning last week, so the 1st of November, and it had become Christmas like overnight. Like, that was it. Halloween was over, and the red cups are here. Christmas I'm adverts on TV. Totally. Like, I am now in full on December mode. So, I'm surprised that even post Halloween, people were still. See, into my it. birthday's in November, so I'm quite strict. Once birthday Christmas, is over, birthday. then it's Christmas. Okay. Agreed. My son is end of November and I just was in M&S on my way here and they've got the Christmas trees sprayed with snow around the place and I had to recoil in disgust no. because we've got birthday season first and then Christmas but season. But they're not mutually exclusive because if you're born on Christmas, for example, then you don't just wait to celebrate, do No, you? but November isn't Christmas. When's your birthday? Are you... Me, February. Oh, so you're kind of winter winter birthday. War with Valentine's Day? No, no, I'm I'm all right with that. If it were to clash, I'd be fine with that, but no, it doesn't. (laughs) No, but I always feel so awful for people that have birthdays like right around Christmas. Like my cousin's birthday is on Christmas Eve and it's just so rubbish. I agree, but so therefore it proves that you shouldn't wait for birthdays the other way. Just don't combine presents. Get two presents. (laughs) That's also true. What has everybody been watching, reading, listening to? I watched the second episode of The Little Drummer Girl last night. How is it? Oh, well, what they're saying is really interesting, but I just find it visually spectacular to watch. I love the styling. It's so precisely retro. Her clothes, they keep putting her in these kind of bold maxi dresses that are yellow or blue or red, and she just looks so cool. And the way they kind of film each character, the shots is that real sort of 70s style of directing. I just love it. I just love watching all of that. But I'm a bit lost on the plot. I did think afterwards, I need to Google this second episode because I'm not sure what's actually happened. I started reading it, actually. And things that in the book take maybe like 30 pages, I suspect happen in like six seconds on screen. So it's really hard to kind of draw a comparison. But I can see why you'd be getting lost in the plot. Yeah. Because a lot happens. I can't imagine reading it, actually, because there's quite a lot of 
looks and unsaid things and then suddenly something happens but it's had a really slow build up but you'd recommend it yeah but just pay attention okay. i mean there's none of this sleepy sunday viewing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, you've got okay. to be alert no and following time. it no, no, no double screening. Sure. It's, you've, you've got to commit. Okay. What have you guys been watching? I haven't been watching anything because I was away this weekend. I went to Dublin on a little mini break with my mum, which was really nice. I've never actually been to Ireland before. Absolutely loved it. Or really want to go back. Have any of you been? No, but I really want to go based on your Instagrams because it looks so nice. It's so nice. And I was saying it's the perfect place to go at the moment because I'm not kind of redecorating, but re our flat. We moved in in June and both myself and my flatmate had very different interior tastes and all our stuff together just look like a bit of a mess but we haven't really got around to doing it the summer we spent so much time outside now it's cold we're sitting in our living room looking around all the stuff like okay we need a cohesive <laughs> theme and everywhere in Dublin has the most beautiful interiors really? we were saying it's kind of like all the coolest places in London all within walking distance and not that busy the dream want to yeah. go back did except- you eat well I did yes really really nice food I think my favorite place was a restaurant called Wild with an e on the end which is in the Westbury hotel which is a lovely lovely hotel I think Jo Malone actually mentioned it in her yeah, little black book it, I can see why it's I think the nicest hotel there it's kind of like the Ritz of Dublin but they have this restaurant it's actually not too bad price wise it is obviously upscale but not super super fine dining but oh my god the interior is there it's like I want my whole flat to look like this and you go home to a house and you're like oh I hate it yeah yeah (laughs) I think I did actually break one of the rules on this piece you're going to speak about next I'm guilty of it the good dining etiquette yeah I have terrible dining etiquette okay well let's pause that and we will come back to it just quickly on Dublin where did you stay did you do anything cultural what are your must do's we stayed in a hotel called the Ivy Garden Hotel again really nice interiors lots of jewel toned velvets and another hotel I didn't stay here but next time it's on my list it's a hotel called the Alex again super nice to look at cool and activities I'm quite bad at cultural stuff so I just did a lot of shopping (laughs) just kind of strolled around really and went to their big library which is really really cool just walked by the river it was quite chill I didn't really want to pack too much in Mm -hmm. like whenever you go on a two-day break you're always like have to do Mm -hmm. everything and then you don't really get a weekend so kept it quite chill I always love going to a city for the second time because you've done everything the first time and then you can literally just chill it's so true there's like no pressure just go to the places that you loved and walk around Mm, so true people watch the only vaguely cultural thing I did apart from the library when I was there was went to see a comedian called Daniel Sloss I think I spoke about him on the podcast before Jigsaw Mm. and Dark his two Netflix specials he performed his latest show X which he debuted at the Edinburgh Fringe this year and it was absolutely hilarious it's well worth a watch I reckon it will be coming to Netflix my mum had never seen a stand-up comedy show before and she was in hysterics he's really really funny and also all of his shows have this kind of quite serious undertone at the end where he touches on a really important topic. Mm-hmm. This one was sexual assault and the way he did it was brilliant and I really think everyone needs to watch it. I suspect that's why he's so popular at the moment because he's quite like, for want of a better word, woke, isn't he? Like, <laughs> you know, he's dealing with like really, really current topical issues yeah. within his comedy. I think it's a good thing when you have Scotland's most famous comedian as Frankie Boyle. He definitely is the, <laughs> the woke Jesus we need. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not new but I have been watching Fleabag on Pascal's recommendation I think actually because we were talking about Killing Eve and 
for those who know Phoebe Waller-Bridge, she wrote Killing Eve and also wrote and starred in Fleabag, which is a show that I think she originally made for BBC Three, but is now on Amazon Prime. And it's just a six-part series. She made her name as a playwright, and you can totally see that in Fleabag. It starts like a televisual comedy, and as the episodes go on, it becomes more and more kind of broken and fragmented and theatrical as her life kind of descends a little bit. But it's such an amazing combination of humour and incredible sadness and amazing acting I really really recommend it it's so good it's so I good I really like it a lot of sex yeah doesn't it open with that scene where she's doing anal, anal? Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. yes it. it does so yeah not for the faint hearted but so so good Rosie you already touched on this we're talking about good dining etiquette today because when you're eating out basic table manners might be a given but there are other rules that you really need to adhere to to be a good guest Go on then. What did you do? I'm a classic Instagrammer. Oh, one yeah. of those. See, the only time I will do it, I'll say this as a caveat, I will do it when a restaurant is quite empty. Mm-hmm. There's no way I would have done what I did, which was stand up and move my way around the restaurant taking photos. If there were a lot of people there, luckily there weren't. And if I was in a big group, I would not make everyone wait to eat their food before I get a picture. I was going to say, do you take a photo <laughs> of the table as well? I do. And I am that person that's like, can you move your arm? <laughs> The person sitting across from me, you're in my show. Yeah, that's the worst. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. That's awful. Well, we spoke to both an etiquette expert and a maitre d' to get their biggest rules for good dining etiquette. They included things like arriving on time, wearing something nice, not using your phones, and always showing when you've finished your meal. What's everybody's pet peeve in a restaurant, apart from raising Instagram? Apart from me. I hate it if I'm with someone who complains in a really rude way. You know, if something's not right or the wrong food's come or Mm. it's cold or inedible Mm. or the wine's not right. I don't mind if people complain, but it's how you do it. And I just think there's never an excuse to be rude unless you're on the receiving end of rudeness Mm. first. And I just can't bear it when I'm with someone who's just so over the top Mm -hmm. and rude and short. And I've waited in pubs and restaurants and you are the middleman between the kitchen and the customer. So it isn't ever really your fault. You're just the one delivering the food. And I think when you've done that job, you really sympathise with people who are being given Mm -hmm. a hard time. I don't even think that's a dining etiquette. It's just having manners, isn't it? It should apply to all walks of life, but I'm completely with you. I think there are people out there trying to make themselves feel bigger and better by being rude. Yeah, or taking out their bad day yeah, on yeah. someone but not, something really not small. even when you have to complain about something like sometimes people are just rude mm-hmm. yeah. To yeah. Waste it. yeah it's horrible you really see a different side of people when yeah like definitely Astrid what is your pet peeve when it comes to dining out when people are a bit funny about splitting the bill fair enough if you don't drink or you've literally had a starter and everyone has absolutely gone mm-hmm. to town you're totally well within your right to you know just pay your way but you know when people are like counting down for like <gasps> yeah. the last yeah. 30p or they won't pay the service it's like can yeah. you not just split the bill it's so annoying. it's the worst but then also on the flip side it's, it's really bad when there's one person who hasn't drunk at all and everybody else has it's really bad dining etiquette I think of everybody else not to totally. kick off and, that. and I think quite often some people don't want to say so they just end up exactly paying their part of the bill and I always stick up for them I'm like yes. well so and so didn't drink so I think we should take them off first and but pregnant like, women always yeah, taking pregnant women off because <laughs> actually when I was pregnant I quite often just didn't stick my hand up and say anything and I think it was a podcast that we 
we did a while ago with Georgie and she was like, you can't ever pay if you're pregnant for food. <laughs> and I was thinking, God, I should have stood up myself more <laughs> in those days. So now if ever I'm out with anyone who is pregnant, I'm like, come on, no, you mustn't pay. That's true. I will remember that. So of the things on this list, are there things that you in particular, when you're dining out with friends, make an effort to do? Well, I mean, this goes against everything I just said. But once I'm done taking my Instagram yeah. photo, I will then put my phone away and have a go at anyone else that's on their phone. Really? <laughs> are you quite strict on that? Yeah, I used to not be. And then once I started making the effort to, you really notice when other people are doing it. And I think I noticed most in one of my friends, she's never been a phone person, mm-hmm. didn't have a phone throughout the whole of sixth form. It was impossible to get hold of her. Then she got one, wasn't really into it. Then she got Instagram and it was like hanging out with a different person. She would just be there every time you spoke, just scrolling through it. So now we do the thing where you put your phones in a pile. You have to pay? Yeah. Wow. You have to pay? Yeah. First one to pay. The first one is the bill. Yeah. Uh, And you're supposed to do that. So we have the excuse that we have our phones out because, you know, the babysitter might call or one of the kids might call. (laughs) So enjoy that moment Mm. because soon the phones will be back on the table facing up, ready. But I do feel like it's a generation thing as well correct me if I'm wrong but I feel like we're more inclined to sit and just mindlessly scroll through Instagram whereas I suspect that you're more polite than that well five or ten years ago definitely no one would dream of having their phone out but now I think we are all just mm. becoming the same so bad yeah I feel like older people are worse with their phones because it's like my friend that got a phone that hadn't had one I feel like you have not got as used to multitasking Mm. with it so my friends that are on their phone the most can text and still look at me and hold a conversation whereas my mum if she's checking something which she now will do at dinner you just can't get through that's such a good point both my parents are exactly the same it's like a wall has just been built and and my mum's busy like poking one finger (laughs) at her emails that's so true Astrid what about you anything you really make an effort to do I hate arriving at a restaurant if I'm late and they have like a preconception that I'm going to be rude or something so if you just call ahead and say I'm so sorry train was late blah 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 and it happens in London all the time I don't know just think yeah. it gets things off to a better they're start always and really it's only grateful one well. quick phone call so mm. they're always really grateful as well aren't they also cancelling restaurants when you're not going to go that is really important yeah I don't want to be blacklisted on like a good restaurant <laughs> right. yeah exactly is there anything on this list that you thought shit I never do that I probably should I never asked to try someone's food before they've started it. Yeah, that so was that, one of the yeah, that is extreme. Of the it? it says you should always ask to try food first. If your companion has a chocolate cake that's just begging to be split, always make sure you ask them if you can have a bite before reaching over and digging it. It basically means don't oh, take. Right. Them. Yeah, it's like don't take their food without asking. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, that's rude. It's very rude. I don't think there are any great shockers on this list, but if you do want to know exactly how you should be behaving in a restaurant, check it out on the site now. Would you ever consider moving to the country? Last year, research by estate agents Hamptons International showed that almost 94,500 people made the move out of cities to the countryside in the last year, and that 30% of those people are in the 20 to 29 age bracket, which I found really surprising. Anyone here ever consider upping sticks? Georgina? Well, it's interesting because actually, since kids have started school, every year there's kind of two or three families that are saying goodbye and moving out. And it kind of shines a light on your own decisions and it makes you think, well, should I be doing that? And what they got for their house and what they can buy out there and, you know, beautiful big country houses. But then I find it a really hard one because I didn't grow up in London and I never expected to raise a family in London. But now I'm here, everything's just so easy and I can't really imagine having to drive them everywhere. My daughter especially is now jumping on the bus. She's doing everything she wants to do 
go anywhere. She's got that independence. And to take it away, where I grew up, there was one bus a day that went from my village to the nearest market town. And that was it until I got my driver's license. And it was okay because it was all I knew. But I think it would be very difficult now to take that away from them Mm -hmm. both. So you're here to stay. Yes. And I have had friends who have done it and come back. Yes. I want to talk about those people in a minute because there's a lot of them. Rosie. I mean, I would love an Arga. (laughs) I don't know. I've always envisioned myself at some point in life moving up north to the countryside but maybe that's just because I want to be one of the real housewives of Cheshire <laughs> but I can't they don't live in the countryside <laughs> Cheshire, that's not exactly rural I mean, they just don't live in London yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just me, a different city Cheshire is rural but I don't know <laughs> I can't currently drive so I think I would need to pass my test that's before true. I'd be allowed but I can certainly see the appeal mm-hmm. what about it appeals to you big house oven I mean I <laughs> the <laughs> oven you know you can I, buy an arger in London if you really want if you really want yeah but <laughs> wrote this piece I was reading an article by Telegraph writer Hetty Harvey and when she was describing what she thought her life would be like it kind of sounds like what I'm saying right now yeah, it does. and she found that it was not in fact the reality. expectation versus reality but yeah a dog lots of mice views don't like mice so there were lots of mice yeah that yeah. put me and off. power cuts just saying mm-hmm. so I remember there was a big hurricane when I was little in Kent well actually the whole southeast and we had no electricity for I think six days <gasps> we just had candles oh my god six oh days god. six days it really is a long time you have hot water no nothing there did used to be power cuts a lot I don't know whether it was just growing up in a small place but now you just don't really get them anymore. yeah I agree I definitely remember more power cuts when I was little mm. compared to today Astrid does the countryside appeal to you? If you'd asked me a few years ago, I would have said, when I have children, I will definitely move out of London. I was like, oh, I couldn't possibly bring children up mm. in London. And that's probably because I grew up in the Channel Islands and it was very, very different. But now that I'm older and I've got friends that have had children here, it's just totally normal. Mm. And I think it would be a massive shock to the system. Mm. to move to the countryside I'd be like why isn't Tesco open at 9pm if you've run out of nappies oh my god <laughs> where do I get sushi from <laughs> like when you go on a, like a little staycation and you get to the train station you're like where's the taxi rank and there's nothing there that happens there's nothing yeah, and it's dark oh and then there's like mm. one guy in the village that does the taxi you yeah, have to wait an hour in him. the local pub where everyone's looking at you for an hour to get a taxi <laughs> yeah my friends who have moved out they kind of go oh god it's really you know if you go out like out out you have to book your taxi by the Monday for the Saturday <gasps> night Yes. and then you're committed to that time so if, if it's all kind of really getting lively and you've booked for 12.30 and you think no I want to stay till 2 no no you have That's to like, go home at 12.30 or you're there forever <laughs> I don't think I've ever been to the countryside like what you're describing <laughs> once I went to a really lovely little hotel that we featured a few times actually called the Beckford Arms in Wiltshire and we went on like a country walk I think we went to a few villages away had dinner in the pub and it got dark and we just thought oh it'll be fine we'll get a taxi home no taxis. We were there for hours. <gasps> but we couldn't walk back because it's these tiny country lanes. There's but no in the middle of nowhere. So people do go Bond quite fast. Yeah, yeah. But we would have definitely got run over. Mm. So we had to call the hotel and be like, um, we can't get back. <laughs> and I think it was the hotel owner who came and got us. So oh, it was really that's sweet. So yeah. sweet. So very Aww. grateful to the Beckford Arms for that. That is yeah. so sweet. Wow, that's good service. Georgina, tell me about your friends who've moved back. What ended up being the catalyst for that? Well, a friend of mine lived in Hampstead and then moved moved to the back of beyond in Hertfordshire. So I find Hampstead quite rural. Yeah. I think Hampstead is like a little... To me, that is rural. Yeah, and and also, caveat, when I say, obviously, kids growing up in London, 
I think, you know, at the moment we live between two commons where everything is low rise. You can't even see a skyscraper. Yeah, it's not like even a flat in Moorgate or something. Yeah, yeah, so there's kind of, there's city and there's city. Mm-hmm. But I think they just found that the demographic of the village was way older than, you know, the Christmas right. drinks party and they're kind of the youngest by about 20 years. And just the kind of the transport thing, I think, was the main mm. thing. And I think if you start commuting, you're coming home late. Everything just was a big effort, they said. And then I know someone else who moved out. And then when they moved back, they moved back to Wimbledon rather than to anything more central where they'd been before, which I think maybe is the answer if you're considering it. But you mm. still want all those conveniences of urban life. Mm. Hampstead and Wimbledon are still pretty central, actually. I think they're both zone two. So you can go out to either zone fours and fives, get what feels like the countryside. My parents are in zone five. It feels completely like the countryside. Yeah. But they've got a tube stop. So, you know, to me, that's the win-win. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are actually two points that we spoke to Faith Art who is a financial journalist. She also has a blog called Much More With Less where she kind of documents her downsized life in the country. And she said that one of the main things to consider is if you do regret it because of the property prices in London going up faster than in some other places, you may not be able to move back and have the same kind of place you had mm-hmm. before. And the other thing was remember all the maintenance because you could get a big country mansion and then kind of screw yourself over mm-hmm. if anything goes wrong and you can't fix it. Yeah. To me, particularly if you're planning on commuting, it doesn't sound like the most financially viable option. It doesn't seem to me like a move you make because you want to save money at all. I think if anything, it sounds like it's going to end up being more expensive. Yeah, that's what people said. Yeah. But in my mind, I always assumed, oh, you could get such an amazing thing for the same price. And while you may be able to, all those extra costs really do add Ooh, up. Yeah. Well, when I grew up out of London, as I was saying, and I remember some of my friends living in like these proper, massive kind of Georgian rectory type houses, and they would have wings that were shut off because they couldn't afford to heat them so they would have the kitchen with the dream arbor (gasps) that was fine everything in there was warm and then like one sitting room a couple of bedrooms and then all the other doors were shut to all the other rooms because it was too expensive wow i know everybody says that you change your opinion on these things a lot when you actually do have children so maybe in five years time i'll have a very different attitude but i grew up as i said in a slightly more rural area it did still have good connections to london but i always felt quite isolated out there and i had friends who lived more centrally and i remember going with them to art galleries and i'd know their mums would take us on the bus and we'd go to museums and stuff and to me that's a much more rewarding lifestyle with children than one where they've just got fields to play in personally so I can see the pros and cons of both but I don't think bringing your children up in a big city means huge sacrifices either. And speaking of children another one of the tips was when you move away consider your support system because a lot of people while they said that in a lot of these villages everyone is super friendly and really welcoming if you have moved away and you don't have you know, your parents or friends to call and to babysit the last minute, you can find your life is quite different. So that's definitely a tip to consider. Let's talk about travelling alone. More and more women are considering jetting off by themselves. Actually, 55% of audiences pushing search for solo travel have been women between the ages of 25 and 34 this year. Anyone here ever travel alone? For work, but not fun. I think it means fun. I think it's like yeah. optional, isn't it? So I find it quite fun though. It made me consider doing it because I never ever would have done it before in the past. Not in this role. I've had to go to cover events and you kind of get the day by yourself exploring a city and it's actually quite nice. <laughs> it's kind of like if you have a day out by yourself in London, mm-hmm. it kind of feels equivalent if you're doing it in a city. But I mean, I don't feel like I am brave enough to do one of those kind of three week traveling around holidays um friends of mine have done it and they've absolutely loved it but 
Maybe not for me. I think it's less weird to go traveling for like three weeks by yourself than it is to go take yourself on a city break for the weekend. Yeah. Dining yeah. under the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. For one week. <laughs> yeah, that's not really yeah. that cool. That's less comfortable, I think, than yeah. like, I don't know, three weeks in Bali alone traveling. I think, I haven't done it. I have done backpacking things in the past with a friend. I've never gone. I mean, personally, I would feel a bit concerned about the sort of safety side being on my own, but I've done press trips and things on my own and I've quite enjoyed just like, I'm on a plane without my kids. <laughs> this is amazing. But I think the only time I'd be really comfortable going somewhere on my own would if I was going on a retreat and actually I don't want to sit and chat every night and mm-hmm. always have that company I would want to go and try and get what I could from a retreat so I would probably yeah. rather do that on my own but mm-hmm. I think for any other trips I'm definitely a group travel person <laughs> Astrid? A bit like Rosie like I've travelled loads of times on my own but it's always going to meet people mm-hmm. or going home and stuff like that like I've never actually gone on holiday by myself mm-hmm. Would you? I think I would if I had the luxury of time but you know we only have a certain amount of days you can go away mm-hmm. each year and you're probably going to go with like a loved one or mm-hmm. a friend or something I'm just thinking if I had unlimited time I still don't think I would well if there was some myself, somewhere I really wanted to go and it was like the experience would be nice on your own like a retreat or something don't see why not mm-hmm. and you put like the safety precautions in place obviously yeah. well this piece did give us some tips alongside safety precautions things to remember if you do feel like traveling alone things like try a hostel that's an option learn to take your own photos I think with bloggers so on the right I feel like I see increasingly more people travelling alone. Are you just referencing me right now? No, I think like increasingly more pictures on my feet. No, no, I don't mean that at all. I mean, I mean, with the rise of like the blogging industry, the girls who are making a living out of that are inevitably travelling alone. So there's kind of examples. Yeah, and Narissa from the Sherlux team, she is from Australia. She lives here, obviously. And whilst she's here, she wants to make the most of being in Europe, and she travels all the time Mm -hmm. on her own and has the best time. Understanding the culture, that was another one. It's so important to understand the customs of the place you're visiting, see how the locals dress and adapt. I think that's a good point. And also to do the practical things like having travel insurance, having a VPN, having a backup plan. I think just all the common sense things, really. Well, we also wrote a piece about taking a grown-up gap year because apparently more and more 30 to 40-somethings are throwing it all in and going travelling for either back-to-back trips across the course of a year or taking out whole months at a time anyone considering a grown-up gap here wouldn't mind one (laughs) (laughs) so we spoke to a company called flashpack and they specialize in grown-up gap years as they call them they said that their clients tend to work in finance or law and that the average person spends upwards of 20k on their grown-up gap year so when they say gap year we're not talking like backpacking around no so these are full-on luxury gap years he kind of thinks people are super stressed in their jobs they've worked really hard they've earned a lot of money and they want to enjoy it so they want to invest their money into these amazing experiences they can come back and speak about it's kind of five star hotels sunrise bike rides safaris 20 grand's not going to get you very far if you're doing it that way no also this isn't really a gap year then it's more like a sabbatical isn't it because gap year i think has those kind of rough and ready associations where yeah, or sometimes doing things for charities and organizations yeah. like i'm going to go and build a bridge in rwanda or something i That's suppose what i remember people yeah going exactly but i suppose this is taking 
taking on new meaning with everybody being so kind of stressed and burnt out. It's like literally like a gap, like a break in your life. Eat, pray, love vibes. Yeah, mm, yeah. exactly. What would stop you from doing this? I think the kind of fear of getting another job afterwards and then questioning, well, why have you done this? You know, mm. were you not able to handle your role? Did you not like working? You needed to kind of jet off and run away. But the guy who co-founded this website, Flashpack, said that actually 80% of employers value travel experience in candidates. And while it can seem super nerve-wracking giving that up, it might actually benefit you because if you can say, I won't burn out, I've been, I've had this time off, mm. I'm coming back really motivated and in a new headspace, it could actually work in your favour. That's such a good point. But I can just imagine like being there and then as you're watching the kind of the time run out, suddenly being like, I don't know, just then panicking that you've almost kind of run away from like the reality sun- and then you've got to come back and face it in an even harder way than before. Like the Sunday fear, but just a year's worth exactly. of it. But maybe that's just the kind of way people look at it. Actually, some people just maybe didn't go on a gap year when they were 18 and they want those experiences. The experiences just as kind of valued as earning money or whatever. As long as it's justified and you tell your new employer that when mm-hmm. you get back, then like Rosie said, it's a good thing. Sure. I just think you've got to hope that you can find a new employer in the first place. Well, or you might have employers who are happy for you to take a year. I mean, people take mm-hmm. a year for maternity mm-hmm. and even paternity if they're doing shared parental leave. When people swap jobs, particularly in financial industry, they can have gardening leave, which can be six to nine months mm. even. I know plenty of friends who have taken advantage of gardening leave and done lots of things. I think once kids are in the mix and you're pulling them out of school, it's a whole different ball game, really. So I think if you're going to do it, you probably want to do it sooner rather than later. But then on the other side of that, you want to get to a point in your career where you're able to walk away knowing that you can come back in at a certain level with that experience Mm -hmm. behind you because otherwise you're just going into kind of the lower salary band where someone's kind of keener younger hungrier all those things and then I think then it is probably a worry but I think if you can get to a certain point and then I don't know maybe a year-long honeymoon or something is the way (laughs) my friend and her husband are on a sabbatical at the moment they both work for the same company in finance they're doing like an epic I think it's three four months around New Zealand Australia Asia and obviously this has been the pipeline for ages and the company are very happy for them to do it just before they went away she got pregnant so, <laughs> so she's doing oh her special probably going back for a couple of months and then she's going to go on maternity leave sounds like she's smashed yeah, she yeah. Totally nailed it. <laughs> that is so funny Georgina have you ever been tempted there are always again those kind of Instagram families who've taken their kids and jetted off around the world for a year out would that ever tempt you? yeah and I, in my parallel life I would love to mm. do that and when we go away together and we're kind of walking through some quite exotic places like mm. a souk in Marrakesh or somewhere that's not your typical family holiday destination and I I think oh god we should just hit the road and do more of this it's so fun and they're discovering so much they're learning so much it's more real than everything they're doing in the classroom but I think I like security and I like plans and I don't know whether I would feel that I in the long term I've given them the best start does anyone here actually take a gap here in the first place no I wish I had now do you yeah but then I don't think I would be sat here in this mm. job if I had because my life would be completely different if I'd gone to uni at a different time and mm. so you can't really dwell on those things mm. I'll do one when I'm 40 <laughs> that is my plan I really wanted to go save turtles in Costa Rica oh. but my mum was like I'm not paying for you to save a turtle <laughs> which is a fair point it's a fair point yeah so I did not I did I went and lived in South France for a year which was just really nice that sounds so civilised I went it's to university twice. there and I learned French to a certain level <laughs> which as far as you can when you're living with your best English friend in a flat which was great we had a really good time I bet you did um, yeah really really fun but if I was doing it now I would try and find more meaning in mm-hmm. my gap year I think but it was just what I needed at 80. It was mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I'm actually quite glad I didn't take one. I did take a year off, but 
I was so done with education at that point. I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to work in retail. Worked in retail for a year. I was like, I can't wait to go to uni. So I think it gave me that kind of push to go to uni, to go to yeah. uni that I needed because I was kind of just like looking at loads of different careers, like trained in makeup for a bit. And it really did help me hone in on what I wanted to do, weirdly. Yeah. It's just think, a good headspace, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And also they say the dropout rate from people who have gone from school straight to university compared to people who've had a year in between now because the pressure on kids is so intense, kind of more than ever. And the exams just come again and again and again and everything's so competitive that it's quite good because they're getting burnt out. We've got burnt out teenagers or old teenagers. And I would definitely encourage my kids to have Mm. a year out just to work out exactly like you said, try a few things, work out what you want to do, bit of work, bit of travel, and then come back refreshed, recharged and actually focused. Well, I didn't really feel like it was a choice of mine to go to uni. It was Mm. just what was expected of you. Everyone was doing it, you know, in sixth form, you're doing the applications. And I never really took a step back and was like, do I actually want to do this? Mm -hmm. Which is why I delayed all my offers. And yeah, it was the best decision. Because I think if I'd gone straight into it, I would not have appreciated Mm. it at all. The only thing I'd say is, so I took a gap year and then went to uni after that. And I feel like it really ruined my uni experience for me because I moved abroad a bit like you for nine months, didn't come home in that time, was completely immersed in that and was really kind of thrown from being at home to being, you know, completely independent. So uni almost felt like a step backwards. It was like back near a home. I drive back, you know, down the motorway whenever I wanted. It was everyone I knew. Everybody spoke the language. You know, it felt like a regression almost. So I don't think I got out of uni much more than the kind of educational side. Whereas I think if you go straight from school you're so ready for it that you really kind of make the most of being there I had the same thing because I'd kind of got my freshers period out of the way by the time I went I was just a bit like over it I remember my first vodka red bull yeah people I've never been away from home before (laughs) and I do feel I agree if I had gone straight there I think the social life would have been more of a big deal for me and I do feel like I miss out on that somewhat but me too well if you wanted to know more about taking a grown-up gap here do look it up On the site, we've got some great tips about all the benefits that it could have for you and your career. I'm going to talk about pockets now. We really love a pocket here at Shillarks. We wrote a piece about why we are all obsessed with pockets. Astrid, pocket fan? Love a pocket. Cannot get enough of a pocket, especially (laughs) in a dress. Why? You wrote this, Charlotte, didn't you? Mm. And I love what you said. Think what they've done for Victoria Beckham. Posh Vice basically reinvented herself thanks to the pocket's ability to add a slouchy, borrowed from the boy's edge to any outfit. And I think that is it. Like, as soon as you have a pocket... I know it sounds really, like, basic, but... (laughs) We've been through this. It sounds so basic being like, that's cool. You just look so cool. Like, it's got that Victoria Beckham, Annie Howe, Mm -hmm. kind of, like, nonchalant vibes. I love it. Definitely agree. Rosie, you don't like a pocket. I literally hate pockets more than anything. (laughs) I have taken dresses from Mango and Zara to tailors to get them to remove the pockets for (laughs) me. That's so weird. Because I know you mentioned in your piece that pockets are technically a bit sexist Mm. in the sense, of course, they're functional. Sometimes you need a pocket. I do carry a very small bag, so it might come in handy. But I do just find them so unflattering. They always hit me at the exact wrong place. Like I kind of go in at the waist and then out at the hips and pockets on my hips just make me look about two dress sizes bigger. Mm -hmm. I don't need them there. Don't want them in my life. I can see that. I think I don't like a superfluous pocket. So I don't like like a little pocket like on my boob in like a safari jacket. Do you know what I mean? Like what's that doing? Or those t-shirts that have pockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What is that? I don't really know what that's for. My pocket watch. Yeah, fake pocket. Yeah, fake. Pocket made from like cotton material like what's going to go in here but I'm with Astrid I have to say I think it really does change the way you stand and particularly 
on more feminine clothing like a dress I mentioned in this piece how there's a growing trend for wedding dresses to have pockets as well because it really oh, does just change oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm going to shoot a photo of somebody I know who had pockets in her wedding dress it's the most beautiful elegant dress it doesn't ruin the shape at all because it wasn't a fitted dress it's mainly on you know big fairy tale dresses and you can then just kind of slot your arms in give you so much to put your awkward hands I don't get this yeah thing. it's the awkward hands mm-hmm. thing so I think in the kind of 50s or 60s when women would always be smoking and they always had something to do with their hands which was hold their cigarette mm-hmm. and now less people are smoking and actually sometimes you think well I don't really know where to put my hands but if I had a pocket mm-hmm. I could just put my hands in my pocket so true and I also get really really cold hands so I love a pocket and I went out in my new jacket on Friday night and the pocket was sewn up yeah, yeah. and I didn't have any scissors so I suddenly Aww. was stuck there going oh my god trying to rip open this pocket and, you've, and you keep like cold. shoving your hands in it's just not going it's not there like, yeah. no there is a pocket it's just who does that who's like yeah they always are need them sewn up. I know it's very sad very annoying well I'm with you on the functionality as well I put my Oyster card in my back pocket every single day without fail and in the summer I'm just like completely screwed I find it such a fab having to put my Oyster card in my handbag well most of us anyway can agree that we like a pocket let's finish by talking about my wedding diaries I'm getting married haven't mentioned it much but it's actually only seven months ago now which is nothing that is nothing I know and in my latest installment of the wedding diaries I wrote about finding the dress I have officially found my dress (gasps) and sign on the dotted line which is very exciting so I wanted to share my tips about looking for the right one because it's actually not that fun well not as fun as the movies make it out to be yeah this Mm. is what I was so surprised about because I got really overly excited. I was like, I want to go and try on loads of dresses. <laughs> and she was like, it's not actually fun. And she explained in detail why and now I'm actually really not looking forward oh, to you it sorry. You you sorry no I'm joking I still think I'm going to be running around screaming well my biggest tip was that people tell you to do your research and to go to like only a certain number of places and I think that's all well and good I did it on that level I thought okay this is the style I want so I'm going to go to these places but the research I didn't really do was is that style of wedding dress going to suit me so actually it took about three dresses to realize that wasn't going to be right for me and then I was a little bit screwed because everywhere I booked really was that similar ilk I mean it made the selection process easier because most things was like no out gross dreadful but I really recommend having a think about or maybe just starting as soon as you get engaged with like one boutique trying a load of things on and then making your bookings from there so needless to say I ended up with something completely different to what I thought I was going to have Georgina did you do the same? Well I went to a big department store which doesn't exist now Dickinson Jones and they had actually a really good bridal department and I went in one lunch hour with my mum I mean, it was romantic not, story not yeah. very relaxing <laughs> and I went come on I'll just try some dresses on and actually it was the best thing because they had every style mm. budget kind of 10 different shades of ivory or whatever it is and things with lace and sequins and everything I wasn't ever going to get the dress from there but it gave me a chance to try on all the styles mm-hmm. I ended up with a dress that I think I saw about five of my friends wearing virtually oh. the same dress I wasn't the same but the, when I got married the style was strapless bodice out and that was that's what everyone wore and it wasn't that we all set out to wear the same thing it just because I'm short I think it's really important to be careful what you look for I think if you're small you just don't want to look like you should be on top of a Christmas tree that's the main thing Mm -hmm. not to be too swarth in material yeah so something kind of simple you know might work even though you were thinking you wanted something more elaborate or vice versa just go somewhere big almost to start with which has everything and then narrow it from there and then think about your designer and your kind of fabric and the kind of day the climate you're getting mm. married in all those things yeah really I made important. that point I found a big heavy dress which would have been perfect 
had I been getting married in London, um, but not for a whole wedding in Mallorca. That's um, one of my number one fears. I've always said, oh, I don't want a princess dress. And I don't think I'm going to have a wedding big enough for one of those. I feel mm-hmm. like you need a big ass wedding to yeah, have a big ass dress. They look silly yeah. at small weddings. Yeah. And I'd be so scared that I'd go and just be like, oh, I'll just try it on, see what it looks like. I'd be like, it's the one. Yeah. One thing you do have to think about, though, is like what kind of bride you want to be. You need to hear Charlotte's bride category. So I really like them. <laughs> what my bride category? Did you ever you were saying before? You were like, Bo Oh, yeah, bride. literally. It's I like, it's like fashion bride. I yeah. love it. I want to totally. pick. I like, are you fashion bride? Are you sophisticated bride? Are you, I don't know, slutty bride? Like, there are so many options. <laughs> Oh, and go slutty yeah, bride. You, yeah, you yeah. definitely love slutty bride. There's so many <laughs> options that you can go for. And yeah, it's a real toss up between what suits you and how you envisage yourself like as a bride on your big day. The worst is the makeup when you see someone who's just obviously kind of done the department store makeover Ooh. and even the grooms like can't recognise yeah, woman walking through like her mother. Oh. <laughs> and the obsession with brides having their hair up in that wedding style. It's like you would yeah. never have have your hair like that yeah. in real life like That's, why so you, far I, removed from who you normally are do you think it's a general rule you look better if you present yourself the closest to yourself hmm. Yeah, your best self. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Be your best self. Well, anyway, I have the dress only seven months ago for those who want to see it. And yeah, stay tuned because I will be back every month for the next seven months with more tips from planning a great wedding. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed that, please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends and we'll see you next time. 